Um, I, uh, I grew up, um, my parents came out of the hippie movement in Southern California. I was, yes, I'm from Southern California, born in Southern California. Um, not from there. I don't claim that, but I lived there for, I don't know, eight years or so, first eight years. Um, and, but my parents, they were, they were, uh, beach going hippies, got saved, um, out of, uh, that lifestyle um, that they were very much into. Uh, they got saved at Calvary Costa Mesa and joined the whole Jesus revolution time of, of life. And so growing up, I was able to um, experience Calvary chapels and, and kind of that, that real uh, sandal wearing, Hawaiian shirt wearing, jean preaching, short sometimes, real um, uh, laid back approach to faith. And, and it was something that was real for my parents. It was something that was real for me growing up. And then at a certain time in our life, when we had moved up to Washington from California to Oregon to Washington, um, we lived in this rural community. And, and for some reason, my parents decided to start attending a denomination that was fairly legalistic. Uh, which I didn't know at the time um, what that was. It was just a different style. You know, people wore the ties and the button-up shirts. And I'm like, well, that's cool. It's not me, but that's cool. Um, neat folks, made friends there and stuff. But um, I didn't realize that what was, what was happening to me during that time was this, this uh, sense of religious duty was being instilled. In, in, in other words, what was happening is it was making me realize and believe that um, God's good because I've experienced God. I loved Jesus as a kid. Like I was like, man, Jesus is cool. God is cool. Um, but then, then coming into this uh, environment, I had realized like God is good. I don't think I'm his guy. I don't think like if these are the things he wants me to do um, and, and be like and all these things, like I'm, he's fine. I'm just, I just don't think I'm his guy. And so um, looking back now, God had placed people in my life to help keep me on a trajectory of faith, although I spent many years, uh, many years very far away from the things of the Lord. Um, but that time in my life really began to challenge um, spiritual disciplines and, and religiosity, even the things that are good that were taught with a wrong heart. Um, I began to challenge and say, ooh, I want nothing to do with anything that even has a hint of religiosity, no spiritual disciplines. I'm not going to have this, this, oh, read your Bible in the morning. You got to do your devotions. You got to take communion. You got to fast. You got to pray. All those sorts of stuff. Because I realized like, man, I already know that I don't have a propensity to be disciplined in my life. And and if I experienced Jesus growing up and my, my parents had tr incredible transformation, um, as messy as my home was, um, it was much, much different than what they had grown up without Christ. And I had experienced Jesus. And then I came to this place where I realized like, man, I guess I'm not Jesus's guy. And so it was either, I know that I'm not going to do this perfect. And, and, and I know that I don't have a propensity to this. So maybe I got it wrong before. Instead of realizing like, maybe this isn't right. For some reason at that age in, in early high school, um, I, I begin thinking like, I'm just not gonna, that's not gonna be me. I'll never be the guy with a disciplined Bible reading program. I mean, I can till I get to like Genesis 2. Um, 
Um, I, I have, <laughs> I've had to, I've had to learn to love searching for God in scripture to enjoy scripture. And now I, I would say I'm, I'm a, I'm a Bible nerd. I don't ever feel this need to read the Bible. I don't, I don't read script. I don't read the Bible every morning. I'm just telling you guys right now. I wish sometimes that I was that disciplined person, but I think on the thanks of God all day long now. I, my relationship has grown in a way where, where I don't feel this need to. My wife is very disciplined. For her, she loves getting up and having that regular time, that regular reading time, awesome. And what I realized is that while I experience now a, a really incredible relationship with Jesus and I really enjoy my relationship with God um, and growing in that, even despite my lack of discipline, what I realized though is that there are some values to spiritual disciplines that can increase my affection for Jesus, not give me this religious standing. And what I've realized throughout the years is that, and I tell my kids this all the time, as I'm still learning it, is that um, discipline starts when motivation ceases. Discipline starts when motivation ceases. We can be motivated to do we can be motivated to do a Bible reading plan. In fact, let's talk about New Year's resolutions. We're all motivated January 1st, and then that motivation ends. We're like, meh. You know, my, my resolution is to not have resolutions. <laughs> That's just it, like, which my son pointed out, Dad, that is a resolution. <laughs> so I'm like, well, even in that, I fail. Um, but, but I've always had this propensity to stay away from the discipline, stay away from things like fasting and, and prayer and regular, because I'm afraid of being that religious person. I don't want that. And yet the answer is to not swing away from those things, but actually understand the heart behind it. And Richard Foster, um, who, who I highly recommend, uh, his book called The Celebration of Discipline, um, it really is, if, you, if you're like me in that way, read this book because it doesn't put the pressure on you to be like, you gotta do this if you're gonna be a good Christian young man. But it really gives the heart behind um, um, building in disciplines. And he says this, he says, in a culture where the landscape is dotted with, with uh, shrines to the golden arches and, a, and an assortment of pizza temples, fasting seems out of place out of step with the times. In fact, fasting has been in general disrepute both in and outside the church for many years. For example, in my research, I cannot find a single book published on the subject of Christian fasting from 1861 to 1954, a period of nearly 100 years. Now, he's right. In our culture today, and in, in the culture even that I grew up in, especially in the, in the Calvary Chapel culture, where it's like it was kind of birthed out of this getting away from that religiosity, that religious stuff, and just enjoy, enjoy Jesus, um, there, there's this like, well, do we really need it? Like, isn't there another way to experience the Lord? Like, that was kind of old school. I don't know if really that's me. Or, or man, if I do this, am I gonna be, am I gonna feel religious? And I'm, I'm scared. I do have a fear of, of um, that pride welling up and saying, oh, well, look at you. Look at what you just did. Look at what you, you know. And so out of fear, I, I have not historically engaged in those things, but out of a love for Jesus, I begin to now come back to those and say, I wanna experience God more in, in different ways. Now, we have celebrations, we have feasts. In fact, we normally next week have 
have a potluck Sunday. And if, if everyone brings stuff, then it's a feast. And we have plenty to eat. It's a good time. We get to enjoy being, being together and we get to fill ourselves with food and, and uh, uh, good friends and all this stuff. And, and it basically lifts us up. We leave, we leave full-hearted in those times. And today we're gonna look at how, how to feast during our fast. Because the truth is there, there's an element of fasting that has been remarkable in my life. I have never fasted out of duty. In fact, even when we first got to Church on the Rock and they did this 21 days of prayer and fasting, I'm like, Psh, okay, here we go again, little religious time of year, you know? Um, and I felt, I felt this resistance towards it. And I have, uh, my wife and I, we, we have fasted over decisions. We fasted over different things in our lives together and really enjoyed that. But when, when I get that feeling of like, ooh, don't press that on me, get that off of me, don't press it on me. Um, the answer is to not just do away with it, but the answer is to understand the heart behind what we're engaging in. And it's a very, very thin line sometimes. Um, so we enjoy fasts. In 21-day series, we're exploring different patterns for prayer during our times of fasting. And today we're looking at confession, which is another one of those words that can be kind of a, a trigger word, if you will, of like, ooh, I'm, confession, what, what is that? You know, because it's been manipulated in the past. It's, it's, been, it's been wrought with shame and, and all those things. And so is there, a, is there an element to confession that as he draws us into the heart of God and draws us into grace more than just shame? Is there a heart behind fasting that allows us to experience God in deep, amazing, incredible ways, or is it just something that we're gonna put on our religious duty and say we've done? So what is fasting? Well, fasting is deliberately giving up something important for the purpose of seeking God and his will. That's, that's, the, that's the basics. Simply put, it's, it's being so consumed with God's presence that it becomes more important than food. But it's more than just abstaining from food. It means abstaining from food in order to focus on God. And there's all, benefit, there's all sorts of benefits in physical benefits in fasting. Even, even for the non-religious person or the, non, the person who's not doing it for faith religion, uh, reasons, I regularly intermittent fast. My eating is from between 2 and 6 p.m. That's it. Not that, not that I'm, I'm this, again, I'm not a disciplined person. I'm just not hungry in the morning. And so I usually don't get hungry until around noon. I'll get home, wait till two, stop eating six. And that's just worked in a rhythm. I don't feel like there's any sacrifice to that. I don't get super hungry and meet with the Lord or anything. So, so really for me, that's just a normal way of life. And there's all kinds of health benefits that come with fasting. But what we're talking about this morning is fasting for a deliberate purpose to meet with God. See, prayer and fasting are not intended to be relegated to a 21 days, once a year kind of experience. It's designed to be regular habits that empower us for critical moments in God's plan for supernatural deliverance. In fact, Jesus would say that, that there are some even, even demons that can't be cast out other than by praying and fasting. And you think, well, why can't we just ask God and he do it? Because there's something in the, in the act of fasting that draws us into the deep heart and the deep presence of God. Now, in the Bible, fasting is mostly about abstaining from food. Since food is a necessary part of life, 
Cutting back on other stuff can be good. Again, there's all kinds of reasons to cut back on Netflix or cut back on social media or cut back on whatever else it is. There's always good opportunities and things that we should be engaging in regular, regular fasting from things anyway. But when we're talking about a, a, a biblical fast, a fasting to experience God, um, biblically, it really is um, about food for the most part. And prayer is a huge part of that. See, we can fast from Netflix to get rid of our, change the rhythm of our life or, or our phones even, man. I love getting out into the woods when there's no service. And I'm like, yes, no excuse needed. My phone's off. No one can get a hold of me. Awesome. You know, there, there's those things, but I don't need to like spend time in prayer about those things to experience the benefits of those. What we're talking about is a spiritual experience with God. Something where, where we, we are encountering God in a, in a special and unique way. And there are different examples of fasting in the Bible. There's no one specific method to do it. In fact, you can fast for a day, you can fast for a week. I know people that fast for three days, once, you know, three days each week during the 21 days and, and those sorts of things. Like there's all different ways to do it. There's absolute fasts, which basically is usually most commonly during a relatively short um, period of time. And people could abstain from all food and water, which is why, um, why it's, it's necessary that it remains for a short amount of time. And this is usually to discern God's leading. And, and um, I wouldn't recommend this model except for extreme circumstances. It's not even modeled in scripture very often. Um, and little, little disclaimer, consult your doctor if, if uh, this is what you're gonna plan on doing. Um, and then there's a normal fast. People, people abstain from um, all food, solid or, or liquid, but not from water. And so they'll, they'll, this includes like intermittent fasting, those sorts of things. Um, and there's selective fast. We know we hear the, the term Daniel fast, and that's sometimes, um, it, this is a partial restriction of a diet. It's I'm not gonna eat carbs, or I'm not gonna eat, or I'm gonna drink caffeine, or those sorts of things. And so for Daniel, it was he ate no meat and drank no wine for um, that period of time. In Daniel 10, you can read about that. And then there are corporate fasts. And this is, this is what we're participating in together in this, across our campuses within Church on the Rock is a corporate fast with um, uh, normal fasts individually. And fasting is usually private, but, but at times people of God have come together for the corporate and public fasts, such as the Day of Atonement um, in, in Leviticus 23, in times of national emergency, um, in fact, I just learned yesterday that George Washington instituted a, uh, a national day of fast. I think, I think it's March 6th. Should have looked that up between services. For, for the people of America to come on their knees before their creator and seek and repent his will. I'm like, that's awesome. I didn't know that was part of our nation's history. It's pretty cool. So why do we fast? I love what Henry Nouwen says. He says, if we really believe not only that God exists, but also that he is actively present in our lives, healing, teaching, and guiding, we need to set aside a time and a space to give him our undivided attention. And some of the purposes of fasting are that we can grow spiritually by seeking a deeper presence with God. We, can, we fast to engage in worship with him, to confess and repent to engage in spiritual warfare, to appeal to God and to seek his guidance. 
These are good reasons to fast. But before we, we fast, we need to look at our motivation because scripture actually teaches a great deal on the motivations of fasting. And we're gonna look at that. And in Zechariah chapter seven, verses four and five, he says, and the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, say to all the people of the land and the priest, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and, the, and in the seventh for the 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? See, the problem in Zechariah's time is that the people fasted for themselves. They cried, they mourned, they stopped eating because they were so focused on their own problems that they begged God to help them. Now you think, well, what's wrong with that? I mean, how, how, can, how, can, we, how can we fast and not desire to receive? And the truth is, every time we fast, we receive something something good, whether it's, whether it's health benefits or something else. Um, and even, even in terms of fasting, sometimes if it's not done for the, the, the approval of other people, like we do receive some benefits sometimes. But are we fasting for God or are we just coming to him in our times of need? In other words, why is it that when, we, when life is going well, we tend to pray a little less than when life is in trouble? Could it be that we've, we've grown accustomed to using God in our times of trouble, but not actually enjoying him as our God, as our savior? And I think this is where um, Israel had gotten to. See, they said they were not feasting on God. They were thinking about why they could get what they can get out of their prayer time. Again, will receive benefits to fasting. But, but God brought this up for a specific reason. For whom did you actually fast? It's a question we have to answer as we, as we look at this. You know, I think of even this doing this as a corporate thing that we do within Church on the Rock, 21 days of prayer and fasting. Cool, am I gonna fast so I can have a conversation that I participated in the fast? It's okay to have those thoughts, but let's work through those thoughts and say, God, would you help me have the right motivation in fasting? God, give me a heart that just desires you, that seeks after you. And it's interesting, you know, when, when we fast too, because we, we get real tricky with it. At least maybe I do. <laughs> I might be outing myself here. But, you know, we could say things like, someone asks, well, what are you fasting from? Oh, I'm fasting from dark chocolate. Yeah, it's just my way of giving up and giving back to the Lord, you know. And of course, it doesn't stop you from eating other sweets. But boy, not, not eating chocolate for you, God. You know, just doing my thing. And, and really what we're trying to do is we're trying to play the religious game when it comes to that. That we're trying to, to offer a, a, a presentation of fasting without actually saying, Lord, I'm actually giving you my inability, I'm giving you everything. It's, it's, I'm giving you some and then I'm, I'm kind of over here on the sides just enough to not be, um, not be hungry or, or not be um, fully devoted to it. See, the heart behind fasting is, is key to a successful fast. We do this with, with you know, social media. Well, I'm, I'm fasting Netflix for an entire month, Lord. Oh, Amazon Prime now, that's fine. But Netflix, God, it's the Netflix I'm giving up. You know, fast and Facebook, still on Instagram. But, you know, Lord, I'm just doing this for you. 
again, I, I'm not, I, I don't want this to be a, a religious pressure, but let's look at the motivation of our hearts and say, God, actually, whatever it takes, I want to experience you. Matthew 6, 16 through 18 gives a little bit more perspective into the motivations. Jesus says this. He says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces with their fast, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who is in secret will reward you. See, true fasting turns our attention off of ourselves and onto God. And the first thing we notice in this passage is that Jesus assumes we would fast. Now, the Jews had the law. They had the law that says you need to fast during atonement. They had all the law. Jesus is not putting on them more law in this statement. That Jesus understood that, that there's an assumption about fasting that draws us to the heart of God if done not as the hypocrites have done. See, there's something that Jesus was experiencing here that he's like, hey, when you fast, guys, don't be like these guys and, and you know, the guys who will, who they used to pour ash on their head and, and disfigure their faces and not not con literally contort their faces, but they wouldn't groom their beards. They wouldn't, you know, they, they would just look like, well, Lord, I'm not gonna say I'm fasting, but everyone's gonna know I'm fasting. Oh, Lord, I'm just sacrificing for you, God. <laughs> they would deliberately make themselves look like they were suffering so that everyone would know that they were fasting. For us, that might look like a posted picture of in front of an empty plate, you know, with the hashtag suffering for Jesus here, you know, not saying I'm fasting, but here we go. You know, I mean, it's like, technically I'm not telling people I'm fasting. Tell me you're fasting without telling me you're fasting. Here's my plate, <laughs> random. You know, it's like, we, we do these sorts of things and it's funny. It is kind of funny, but, but this is the same heart behind what they were doing is, well, technically I'm not out here boasting, God but I'm letting people know how much I'm suffering for God. And this is what Jesus is saying. It's like, don't, don't, be like, don't be like that. Fasting the wrong way has its reward, no doubt. A person will receive human recognition and esteem, but the recognition of men is all we'll ever receive. And Jesus says, assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. John Piper, in his book, A Hunger for God, writes, if the reward you aim at in fasting is the, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> is the admiration of others, that is what you will get. And that, uh, and that will be all you get. In other words, the danger of hypocrisy, this is so important here, the danger of hypocrisy is that it is so successful. It aims at the praise of men and it succeeds. But that's all. And this is what I grew up going, yeah, like I don't, I don't want any of that. I don't want to do, I don't want anything to do with that. And so I just threw it all out instead of saying, wait, then what is, what is the right heart behind these spiritual disciplines? Because I don't want to be a hypocrite. So how do we fast? And Jesus, Jesus goes on in verses 17 and 18 of chapter six. He says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Do the things you're normally doing anyway. That, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. 
And your father who's in secret will reward you. Some translations said, and your father who's in secret will reward you openly. And let, in other words, let God take care of, of what happens during that time. But just do your normal routine. Wash your face. Don't, don't look all gloomy. Don't, don't make it seem like you're just doing this huge suffering, this experience for the Lord. And God, do, do people see my suffering for you, God? I mean, it sounds silly, but we kind of do that stuff sometimes, right? Like, I, I remember, I remember growing up and hearing different, um, whether it be in, in Bible school or, or wherever, pastors talk about, oh, just the suffering of ministry, oh, just suffering. And I remember thinking, like, dang, who wants to serve the Lord if like that's all you hear? And I realized, like, no, that was a, that was an element of pride for them. That look at how much I'm suffering is unto the Lord. There are hardships in pastoring. There are hardships in any facet of life. No more. In fact, we should actually be experiencing a joy on a deeper level, because we're getting we're getting our, our lives are devoted to being in the Word and, and experiencing God and experiencing the the joy in trials and all those things. And I just remember thinking, like. Man, who wants to be a pastor if like all they do is suffer for the Lord and I don't know. I think it I think it's a religious and prideful spirit. And we all have to be careful that we all have a propensity, even I do, not being very aware of religious perspectives and those and and pressures. I still have to be I still have to be aware that that I'm not preaching in sandals and jeans and a and a Hawaiian shirt to, you know, stick it to the religious man. You know, it's like there's there's pride even in that. And so that's when we have to look and say, "All right, Lord, what is the motive of my heart. We have to have a different approach than the Pharisees have because fasting is a heart issue between God and the individual. And he says, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that it might not be seen by others. We shouldn't be putting on a show for people. We should act natural. It's to be done without notice, not before men, but before God. And then Jesus says, in, 18, in the last part of 18, that, that um, we are to fast to our Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret might reward you. Actually, he says he will reward you. That's something we can, we can actually expect, God. If, if, we, if we allow this to be an intimate encounter we have with the Lord, then, then he will reward us. Now, that might just look like more of his, more of an understanding of, of the mind of Christ or, or a greater, deeper understanding of God's presence in our life, which is a huge gift. It might not look like an answered prayer. My wife and I have fasted over decisions before and sometimes God's answered it the first day. So I'm like, yes, no more, two, three, four days. Yes, thank you, God. And other times we've gotten to day five and it's like, Nothing, and God doesn't answer us because he doesn't want to then. But we've experienced him in other ways that has been just as rewarding. So we don't come to him with our agenda and say, I'm only doing this because of this. We come to him with a desire for him and ask him in the moments of those things. We confess our inability. We confess that we need him. We confess that, that we, we bring our request before him and all these things and just say, God, ultimately though, I just want you. It's Jesus' whole point in John 15, talking about the vine and the branches that we just remain with him. We feed off that vine. And that's what the goal of this is. We demonstrate our dependency on him and his provision. 
You see, God wants us to, to adopt spiritual disciplines, but for the right reasons. In fact, Jesus would tell the, tell the Pharisees, he says, you guys heap on commands that you, your burdens that you yourselves are not even willing to carry. And he wasn't saying fasting is bad. He wasn't saying these things are bad. He wasn't saying prayer is bad. He's saying you are putting on, burden, on people burdens that you yourselves aren't even willing to carry. See, Jesus wants these things from the right heart. And as with other disciplines, the reward will come from God and not from people. I don't, I don't you know, I, it's, it's funny, you, you see again these posts of, oh, just quiet devotional time, you know, all these different angles of the coffee mug with the Psalm 23 verse here and, and the Bible laid out and, you know, pen, marker, all that stuff. And you think, oh gosh, I suck. I don't, I, don't have, I don't have morning time. Wow, I'm glad they do. And then you think, wait, wait, what, what are they doing, you know? And so I, I've just come to grips with the reality that I, I am not ever going to be that person who's naturally driven towards discipline. But I am, through the Spirit of God, naturally drawn now, in my new man, naturally drawn to the things of God, which means some mornings I'm gonna wake up super early get in the word and have a rich time. And other times I'm not. And it means I'm, no, I'm not loved any less or any more. It just means that, that I didn't get to experience God in that way that day. I, I do, the one thing I am pretty disciplined at is getting up early. I've always been an early bird since I was a kid. Actually, my mom would say I'd be out at the table reading comics before anyone else was awake regularly. I love mornings, but I get up sometimes and I don't feel like reading scripture. I feel like sitting and listening to music or, or reading another book or something like that. And so I look and I say, okay, Lord, I want to grow in discipline, but I'm not unloved because I'm not naturally disciplined in these things. I love getting up early. I love spending time with the Lord. And, and, and people ask me fairly often, I usually try to be up by like 4.30 or 5. And it's not, a, again, it's one of those things like I enjoy it, so I don't feel like it's, it's very sacrificial. My wife is not a morning person. But people ask me like, man, you know, why do you get up that early? And I'm like, honestly, because the day that I get to meet with Jesus, like if you knew who I was getting to meet with, it wouldn't even seem... It wouldn't seem like a, a task at all. And that's the approach I wanna take even as I go through hunger and fasting and, and go, man, Lord, like I really wanna eat right now. I really, really wanna eat. But Lord, I want to experience you. I wanna experience you more. Luke eleven thirty four, Jesus says this. He says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, or that word is actually focused on singular things, when it's simply focused, your whole body will be full of light. But when it is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Essentially, that's the idea, is, is fasting, is feasting on God in prayer. That's really all it is. It's just having a singular gaze, saying, okay, I have all these things going on in life, but I'm gonna take the only true thing that's fundamental in life, which is food, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give up that so that I can remember to stay focused on this, on God on this thing, on the, this, this time with my Savior. In fact, when tempted by Satan to turn stones into bread in Matthew 4, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8, says, man shall not live by bread alone. Keep in mind, Jesus is at the end of a 40-day fast. And we think, well, Jesus is God. He kind of maybe, you know, wasn't as hard for him. No, no, Jesus was fully man and fully God. He suffered and was tempted and desired food just like we do. And at the end of 40 days, 
Satan's like, you know, you can do this, right? Jesus is like, man, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. You guys remember the story of, of the woman at the well, right? They're coming through, they're on a journey and they're coming through Samaria and, and they're hungry. They haven't eaten in a while and the disciples head into town to buy food and Jesus sees this woman at the well. He sits, he meets with her, he talks with her, he, he talks, he reveals himself as the Messiah. He's talking about water and thirsting and like, oh, I have a living water. Oh man, if you, if you would ask me for this water if you knew who I was. All these sorts of things and, and this woman's like realizing who the Messiah is as, as she's a woman in, in immense sin with immense trash background uh, that rejected by everyone. And Jesus is like, I'll make time for you, but I'm gonna give you something that, that is going to be lasting and it has nothing to do with what you draw from this well. This woman finds this salvation. She goes and tells these other people, uh, her townspeople, and then her, his disciples come back. And this is where we'll pick up in John 4, 31 and 34. It says, meanwhile, the disciples coming back were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about, that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, well, has, has someone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In other words, Jesus wasn't saying, well, what you've just brought back from town is not actual food. I don't need that. I'm, I'm God. You guys forget that I'm God. That's not what he was saying in that moment at all. He was saying, as the disciples are going, Jesus, Rabbi, you need something to eat. We haven't eaten in a while. And Jesus is very aware that food is the sustaining part of our life. He's not denying that on the physical sense. He's saying, hey, there's a food I have that's so much more than this food. There's a food that's actually spiritually sustaining and fundamental in the same way physical food is fundamental to our bodies. And Jesus was shifting their perspective right after he gets done meeting with a woman who otherwise should have been rejected. Jesus should never have met with, met with a, a Samaritan woman. If he was worried about his image and, and religious perspective, he should never have met with her at a well. He should never have talked with her. She was dirty, unclean according to the Jews. She was a Samaritan. Like He had no reason and yet for him, the food was to do the will of him who sent me. What was that will from the Father? To, to sit and talk with that woman, to make time for this woman, even if it costs him food. See, Jesus found it strengthening and satisfying to do the will of God. Doing the Father's will will satisfy or satisfied his own hunger and quenched his thirst. And see, Jesus was saying he had another food source that the disciples just didn't understand. Which brings us into our pattern of prayer during these times. We're looking at confession today because it begins, it is the fundamental start of all of our Christian life, specifically with fasting. And I'm not talking about you go to a booth, you close the curtain and you tell, tell a, a, a priest all your wrongdoings. Confession is truth telling. That's all confession is. It is just telling the truth. It's not just a negative connotation that comes with confession. We confess the Lord, that Jesus is Lord. That's a good confession to make. It's a truth telling confession. So what do I mean by confession as being a pattern of prayer? Jesus modeled for us exactly what this means. And maybe one of the most perplexing to a degree and profound verses in all of scripture, John 5, 19. This is what Jesus says. 
Truly, the Son of Man can do nothing on his own. Here is Jesus, fully God and fully man, understands all things of the Father, has never, has never been separated from the Father, walks with the Father, understands and hears from the Father, and he says, truly, the Son of Man can do nothing on his own. What is Jesus communicating with his admission of his own inability here? I think it's, it's simple and profound. It's nothing less than a life lived entirely in the will of his father. I think about that. Jesus himself admitted his inability. How much more ought we to do that? See, Jesus' inability to act on his own had everything to do with his absolute commitment to allow his father to lead, to protect, to empower, and ultimately fulfill his purpose through life. I am convinced that one of the, one of the primary purposes of this life we call, we call being sanctified, being set apart, the work of the Holy Spirit, is to help us remove, is to help remove us from the illusion that we ever had any control over our lives, that we actually could do things apart from Christ. I am convinced that the more the Holy Spirit works in our lives, the more he gives us opportunities and pulls us from living under this illusion that we actually can do things apart from Christ, that we can actually make right decisions, that we can actually sustain our marriages, sustain our families, that we can actually sustain our provisions, sustain moving the kingdom forward. I mean, all of it. It is a big illusion that we can actually control anything and Jesus invites us into that disillusion. John 15, five, this is what he says. He says, apart from God, we can do nothing. Remain in me and I in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And the first step in, in real living is to embrace our lower position. We're the creation, not the creator. All living then becomes one opportunity after another, after another to just give up control. And we confess our inability. And this, this includes the difficulty of fasting. It, inclu it, it includes all of life. It includes the difficulty of forgiving. It includes the difficulty of, of remaining unified. One quote I, I absolutely love and, and truly live by is probably tattooed into my identity is this now is, is and a comfort of with this is this quote, inability is the currency of the kingdom. Inability is the currency of the kingdom. Without inability, you cannot have humility. Without humility, you cannot have inability. You'll never confess. You'll never surrender if you think you're able Inability is the currency of the kingdom. So why don't we live in that instead of trying to prove that we have, we have control, we have the ability, we have all these things. And the beautiful thing is his promise is to help us in our time of need. That's the that's that's uh, incredible part. If we look at the law and a guy like me who's like, I would be a really bad Jew, I would never be able to keep any sort of the law. In fact, I would find pleasure in rebelling against the law. And then I look at this and I say, okay, then what is the law? Jesus says the commandments are, are, are these, that we love God with basically our entire being, everything in us. And we love others as Jesus loved us. And I go, well, that's not gonna happen. I can't. Great, 
Because you know who is committed to helping us remove the things that stand in the way of that? God. The Holy Spirit's given to us. Jesus helped his disciples learn this. And then when he left, he sent the Spirit. Now we have access to the Spirit, our counselor, to guide us into all truth, to help us understand what's keeping, what's in the way of us loving God with everything in us, what's in the way of us loving one another <clears throat> with, with as Christ loved us, completely sacrificial. And we say, well, then, then what do I have to try? What do I have to put an effort towards? And Jesus says, nothing. That's the whole point of the gospel is you have no, no participation in it other than to receive me in my service to you, in my washing your feet, in my sanctifying you, in my setting you apart. So when we're told to fast, it's not a religious weight that's put on us. It's an invitation to experience more of this relationship than we've known. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Our great high priest empathizes with our weakness. He understands what we face. He understands the temptations and he says, hey, let us approach the, the, the throne room of grace with confidence that we may receive help in our time of need. See, God reveals himself to us. Fasting is not to just be a time of separation from something. Fasting is a time to get nearer to God. James 4.8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And fasting is where worship and prayer collide. It's where they meet up. And this is how we need to look at fasting. It's not just starving ourselves. I have a friend who regularly fasts 20 to 40 days. And I'm like, oh my goodness, man. It's been years that he's been practicing this. And for him, it's not this, this self-motivated, oh, I'm gonna see how long I can go this time. For him, he started out with, oh, I'm gonna fast a day. I'm gonna fast three days. And he began to experience God in ways that motivated him to want to experience God in longer and longer times. It has nothing to do with the length of the days for him. For him, he's like, I just enjoyed this time with the Lord. It's not that he's enjoying not eating food. It's that he is enjoying this time with the Lord that's becoming that motivation for him. And so this is how we get to feast during our fast, that we feast in our relationship with God during our times of fasting. It's the spiritual food that Jesus was talking about when he says, I have food you know nothing about. I'm like, I wanna taste that. Jesus, God says, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Man, I want to taste. I want to taste that food. I want to know what it's like to actually experience something beyond what is absolutely necessary for my body to live on this earth. That is an intimate relationship with the Lord. That is power. That is, that is liberation. That is freedom. Those are those times that we really understand the mysteries of the gospel, of life. So I ask you this morning, not if you, if you want to experience, but do you want to experience God in a new and deeper way? See, I know that there are prayers in your life that are unanswered, decisions needing to be made, sins you're stuck in that you want to be freed from. 
all these things. I know, I know it because it's the human heart. It's the, problem, it's the problems of all humanity. And that's why God invites us in and says, hey, I will be that one to sustain you. I'll be the one to answer. I'll be the one to heal. I'll be the one. But, but what I want you to do is be with me. And we have so many other distractions that keep us from that. And I think really keep us from, from experiencing God. And, and to a degree, it's a sense of idolatry that we don't. It's not putting something up on a pedestal and, and painting it gold and saying, well, there's my idol. It's, it's the idol of being busy. It's the idol of independence. It's the idol of ability instead of the humility of inability. So I'm gonna have the worship team come back up. And actually, can we, you guys, can we close with that um, same God song? That, I, I don't know if there's a better song <laughs> to close with than, than, that, um, than that song. See, Jesus expects us to fast and pray. He expects it. He assumes that it's gonna be something we're gonna want to do. We don't have to. If we don't, we are no less loved by God. We are no less valued and cherished by Jesus, but he expects it because he knows when my spirit's in you, it's gonna start drawing you towards me. And this is a way that we can experience God in deeper ways. But he expects us to do it with pure motives. If we fast and pray God's way, heaven will come down and we will receive blessings from God. So let us humble ourselves before God in fasting and prayer and begin by confessing our inability and our need for him in the coming days. However that looks, your spirit or God's spirit is, is in you. I can't tell you, I can give you ideas and formulas, but God's spirit leads you to doing these things if you want these things. And I would encourage you to take this time where you have other brothers and sisters across these campuses who are going, through, who are going to be going through the same, same heartaches. That's why I think it was great that Dale decided to cancel potluck next week. Like, we'll have time to eat again together. But let's actually, let's take that time. Maybe it's one day a week we, we fast as, a, as, a, as Willow Church, or maybe it's a couple days a week or whatever else it is. And let's just engage the Lord in those times. And then during your time, make sure you're taking pictures, posting it, make sure people see, have a competition, hashtag 22 days in, what's up? Those sorts of things. Just, no, don't do that. We just do it quietly and we experience God and we'll come back together and we'll get to, we'll get to let the, our experience with God be a witness to those, to, to, to the darkness of this world. Would you guys stand as we worship?